you're looking at the accomplishment of a supreme artist and marveling in it, the world is designed. It's the only reasonable thing to infer from what we see. Whether you're seeing it through a microscope, whether you're seeing it through a telescope, whether you're seeing it through just simply beautiful relationships between organisms, that's truly just something that takes your breath away. It's almost like there's a signal that transcends the physical. And there's a shock of recognition that what you see should never be taken for granted. The artistry and design so prevalent in nature offer more than a momentary escape from the anxieties and distractions of life. For mountain peaks, waterfalls, cresting waves, and flocks of birds on the wing are each endowed with a purpose that, when understood and embraced, is nothing less than life-changing. And for anyone who pauses to ask how or why, a timeless message calls out from these wonders to touch our hearts and lift our eyes beyond the natural world. The Apostle Paul recognized this universal truth in his letter to the church in Rome. Since the beginning of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through the things He has made. The Bible tells us no man hath seen God at any time. So what's the next best thing that God can do since He does not appear to us directly? Next to actually showing up at your door on Sunday morning, the best thing that God could do to tell you that he's real, make this world. Make the world we have. God is infinite. His creation is something that is designed, from my perspective as a scientist at least, to provide us with infinite discoveries about the nature of the being who designed it. Stunning displays of God's invisible attributes are evident throughout the created order. They are part of what is often called God's general revelation, a message unhindered by barriers of language, culture, or time, and broadcast every moment to every corner of creation. Consider just a few examples. In the size and structure of the universe, we catch glimpses of God's inconceivable power and glory. While the precise settings of the Earth's axial tilt, rotation rate, and ideal distance from the sun all reflect His wisdom and foresight. The astonishing variety in the estimated 8 million species of animals and plants that inhabit our planet showcase God's sense of artistry and design. And in the predictable movements of the tides, the changing of the seasons, and the extraordinary efficiency of the water cycle, we can sense His unwavering faithfulness and provision for life on Earth. God gave us a world that 
if we give it half a chance, testifies reliably to him. That testimony, that voice that comes to us from nature, only gets stronger and more beautiful the more you know. And it's beautiful to contemplate the God who had this in mind when he created us, human beings, in his own image, put us on this planet to appreciate, to discover these things and learn about them and through them to learn about him. Now think about what that really means. If God created everything in the universe, then he's connected to every molecule of water, fragment of coral, and creature that moves. So nothing that exists is random or meaningless. Instead, as we journey through life, we're actually traveling through a gallery filled with masterpieces, all bursting with purpose and design. And each is a revelation of the Creator's existence, power, and love. May these wonders open our eyes and hearts to the reality and presence of God. God, as we take a few moments to talk about you, I must admit that I feel completely inadequate to the task. For how can the created even possibly describe an infinite creator? And so in these moments, may my words be your words my heart, your heart, we give this time to you. Amen. My friend Brian was an atheist, didn't believe in God. And um, he came about it honestly. He was a scientist and both of his parents were, mom and ecologist, don't remember what his dad did. But his parents, more than just being atheists, were, were hostile to religion for whatever reason. They simply thought that the chasm between science and religion was too deep a chasm to cross. They felt like those who believed with faith or in God were simpletons who had failed to evolve and grow up. They didn't believe in myths and fairy tales and folk stories. And so my, my friend grew up to be an atheist as well. And he too was very cynical and, and mocked those that believed in God or stepped out in faith in their, their life. And, and he used to have something he'd tell me all the time. And, and the staffs heard this from me several times. I picked it up from him. He said, Jason, facts are your friends. And he's right. I mean, when you're going out to make a decision, an important decision in life, data is good. You need to do your homework. You need to collect what facts you know and why you know them. All true. But my friend didn't have room for awe or mystery. 
the ineffable. The only things that really matter to him are things that can be observed, measured, categorized. He believed that our universe could be quantified much like a, a clock. It was just a structure and you needed to understand how all the gears and the mechanisms work and the mathematics behind them. And while some of that is true, there was no room for something even bigger than that, even to the point of, well, where did that come from? For him, it was case closed. It was rationalism, pragmatism, period. That's all he had room for in his life. But my friend Brian, like many others in life, there was a point when it all kind of came crashing down around him. His wife left him. That same year, his father passed away. His kids would have nothing to do with him. They, they were angry. And then his job even became insecure as budget cuts were pushing at whether or not it would exist long term or such. And, and so all of the foundations, everything that he thought he stood firmly on became like quicksand to him and he started to sink. It all kind of went away. One day, Brian and myself and a couple other guys, we went camping up in the mountains. And for whatever reason, Brian got up early that morning before all of us and he walked a ways down the trail to the side of a cliff and he sat down and he watched the sunrise. And something happened that morning that he can't explain, I can't explain. Frankly, I don't know that we're meant to explain it. But he entertained a single thought during this time on the side of the mountain. And at first glance, it may not even be that incredible a thought when we see it. But for him, it would force open doors that he had closed shut years ago. And that thought was simply this. What if there's more? And you might think that seemed like an unremarkable thought, but for him, what if there's more than just me and my little world? What if there's more than just rationalism and pragmatism? What if there's something bigger out there than me? All these questions burst forth. And, and again, it can seem like it's such a simple question, and yet it broke through barriers that had built up. And he became curious in this moment. Began to ask questions. He had a willingness to open his eyes and even have doubt. You know, sometimes people tell me, like, Pastor, it's bad for you to have doubt. And, and can I push at that? Some of my biggest aha moments in life have come through seasons of doubt because doubt has a way of in, in, in invading our status quo and forcing us to rethink some things sometimes. It's only in doubt that we begin to ask the questions sometimes we need to ask. Doubt's not a problem, disbelief is. Maybe you're walking through a season of doubt right now. Great. Maybe you have questions concerns. You're, you're unsettled. Oh, I may have some bad news for you. The journey with God starts there. It's only when we're willing to question 
things that we have grown comfortable with. Maybe even we lean against or they hold us up. And it's only when we begin to discover that they're false that we begin to be awakened by the reality there is more. Take for granted. I took for granted how big that step was for him. I'll be honest with you. It took me a few years to, to lose my arrogance on this one. Because I had to realize one day that what it took for me, growing up in a Christian home, going to church every week, what it took for me to one day say yes to Jesus was much smaller a chasm than it was for him growing up in a home hostile to Jesus Christ, to anything, and for my friend eventually to say yes to Jesus. And yeah, you'd like to say, oh, on that day on the mountaintop, he came to know Jesus, everything changed, his life was never the same. It wasn't even close to that. It was just one step of many. It would be a journey that he would have to go on. But that journey started with a question, and maybe you've got questions. And the fact is, every single one of you in here, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are with the God question. Everyone's on their own journey. You have your own story. I get that. But if you're curious, if you're asking questions, if you have doubts, if you're suspicious, that's awesome. It starts there. Welcome. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to know this. At our core, we believe there's a God. Not many gods, just one. And we don't believe he's a statue or anything made out of wood or stone or so forth. And when we speak of this God... We do so humbly and in awe and reverence to him. It's at the center of everything we believe. And as one writer wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. In other words, this God exists beyond our time, our understanding, and our space. For many people here, that journey started with an unsettling. We asked questions. We grew uncomfortable. Maybe you had to wrestle with the question, is there something more than me, something bigger out there? As you wrestled with it, the reality began to sink in. That in his bigness and my smallness, what words could I possibly come up to, with to describe him? In our awe and our wonder, we are humbled in the gift of his presence. And by the way, when God gives you a glimpse of himself, it's a gift. But you may not like this gift. Because when he gives you a picture of himself, however big or small. 
and you begin to understand the perfection and the glory and the majesty of this almighty creator, the only reaction we should and could have when we see him and his majesty and we see ourselves in brokenness, it should drop us to our knees in absolute surrender. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. But it's precisely that moment of humility and awe and wonder that we step into his grace. For God is God and I am not. And this might sound controversial, but hang with me. In this searching phase, God isn't something you experience. And I hang tight with me for a second. But we got a lot of people out there searching for experiences. They're experience junkies. They chase the next experience. God is not something you experience. He is someone you encounter. He, the living God, is someone you encounter. And in that moment, you realize you don't go searching for God. He's been searching for you. You don't find God. He finds you. You don't define God because you cannot quantify the ineffable. And when all of our efforts to control the conversation fade away, we're faced with a single reality. Another one of those gifts in which God reveals himself to us. In that moment of realizing there is something bigger, we are astounded at the possibility of God. And it's in that astoundedness of the possibility of God. And when we drop to our knees and declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that we are awakened to new possibilities. There is more. Out of our chaos, we discover order. The deeper we dive into that order, we discover intent. Through that intent, we find design. And in that design, it screams creator. For if there is a design... There must be a designer. It's a gift. I don't know where you're at in this conversation. It was interesting as we were going over service order this week. They're like, hey, Pastor Jason, you got 15 minutes to talk about God. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> hoping maybe, just maybe, as you're sitting here in this moment, would you be willing to humble yourself and surrender to the reality that there is more? And that this more created you with a purpose. You are not one big cosmic accident. 
You were designed by the designer. There is more. And for some of you out there, you made a decision to believe in God a long time ago. You've reconciled this in your heart, and praise the Lord. But I need to ask you a different question. When was the last time you were truly in awe of God? When is the last time you sat there completely amazed at his greatness and his glory and his power? When is the last time you truly were in fear, healthy fear of God? When I wrote the book this series is based on, the premise of it was this. Most of us are running around in life driven by chaos and our schedules and our hectic lives. And there's another group that are just comfortable. And it creates a malaise. And the point of it was to say, how can I get you to stop long enough in your busyness and in your comfortableness to ask the important questions of life? Questions that not only deal with now and the life we live, but eternity. Because you, my friend, this world, we're just passing through. You were created to be eternal beings. And the question you have to wrestle with at some point is, where is my eternity? How can I get you to stop long enough in life to ask these important questions about God? Each of us are building a house. We've talked about that in the last few weeks. And what you build your house on and what you use to build your house matter. Every single one of us have a goal, whether we think about it or not. And we have to ask, what is it in life I'm chasing after? What are you chasing after in life? What's most important to you? Is it God or something else? And not just chasing after, then how do we measure success? In other words, what is your standard in life? What is the lighthouse that guides your ship? How do you measure that success in life? And it's no success here, we're, or no, no secret here, we're talking about God today. He needs to be the foundation of your life. Have you resolved the question about God? But then i got to ask you next week, is Jesus the standard in your life? When he said, follow me, he meant my way, my will, how I live. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Is God your foundation, and is Jesus your lighthouse? And I get it. We'll end here, but I, someone always kind of say, well, Pastor Jason, just give him Jesus, but we're stopping today on God. And you say, why? Just give him Jesus. I, I hear what you're saying, but listen to me. If you have not resolved in your heart that there is a God and then understand what we have done to offend that God, why would you need a Savior? Why a Passover lamb? So we'll get there, but today, I need you to stop long enough in your crazy life 
to ask a couple of important questions. Do I believe in God? And if so, who do I say he is? May we always approach this creator with awe and wonder and fear. Let's pray.